0: Stat Media Group, delivering logistics news since 1986. This is Cargo Masterminds from Stat Media Group. It's Monday and it's time to catch up with our new Cargo Mastermind. Hello and welcome to Cargo Masterminds. My name is Reggie John. Over the last few years, Trade and logistic companies have embraced digital transformation and embedded new technologies in all aspects of their operations. Dynamic routing, end-to-end visibility, smart container sensors, enhanced GPS systems, chatbots and cloud platforms are now common in the industry. They are still critically important. But in the fast-paced digital world of trade and commerce, they are just not enough to offer you the competitive advantage. The COVID pandemic accelerated the pace of this digital transformation and adoption. Those companies with a digital strategy was tipped to adapt and deal with the crisis. Flexport was founded in 2013. Flexport's mission is to make global trade easy for everyone. It is building the platform for global logistics, empowering buyers, sellers, and their logistic partners with the technology and services to grow and innovate. Today, companies of all sizes use Flexport technology to move more than $10 billion of merchandise across 112 countries every year. Today, in this episode of Cargo Masterminds, I am joined by Neil John Shaw, Executive Vice President and Global Head of Air Freight at Flexport. Neil joined Flexport in 2017 after having worked in the cargo departments of United and Delta over a decade Followed by fourteen years of senior consulting roles with JS Aviation Consulting and Boston Consulting Group. Neil, welcome to Cargo Masterminds, and great to have you here.
1: Reggie, it's uh, thank you for having me. It's it's always a pleasure. Um, to speak to you.
0: Neil, let's get a recap of what has been happening with Flexport in the last 18 months. I know there is too much to talk about, but some of the highlights in terms of how Flexport and you dealt with the air freight capacity demands, uh, the constraints that you face, uh, the unpredictability of the pandemic. Tell us some of the things that are coming on top of your uh, memory. Yeah,
1: well, you know, the, the, the past 18 months have certainly been something for the record books, um, for sure, Reggie. Um, and, and we could talk for hours, as you said, on on what has transpired over the past 18 months. Um, but if I, if I think about, you know, specifically from a Flexport, I'll give you from a Flexport perspective, if I look at the past 18 months, right, it has been a chaotic 18 months, you know, for global supply chains, right? This pandemic almost immediately through the uh, supply chains of almost every shipper in the world into disarray, given the massive impact that it had on capacity, particularly on the air freight side of the business, but also on the ocean side of the business as well. And, and so, you know, it has been a very chaotic 18 months, but, you know, out of chaos comes opportunity. And, and so from a Flexport perspective, you know, the, the, the past 18 months has been remarkable from a growth perspective. We nearly doubled our business in in 2020, and a lot of this came from opportunity that we had to solve very critical problems um, for many of the you know most recognized brands in the world. Um, and being a very young company, you know, it's hard to get in front of major shippers, you know, the the big brands that you think of. You know, you have to work your way up to being able to uh, uh, sit at the table with them and to uh, have a chance to uh, help them uh, manage their supply chain. COVID really accelerated that because every shipper was impacted. And, you know, we were able to present some unique solutions. We were able to uh, get a lot more visibility to the operating system that we're building that you alluded to in your introduction. And, uh, you know, it, it, is, it, it, has, it has been a year of tremendous opportunity. And and that allowed us to grow, you know, significantly more than we had planned to, and that growth continues today. And uh, you know, we're very fortunate um, uh, to be able to. A lot of the clients that we picked up over the past eighteen months, I think, will be uh, customers of ours forever, because while the pandemic created the opportunity, it's our operating system and our technology. That will keep them Flexport customers, hopefully for the the the, the foreseeable future.
0: Neil, one of the biggest challenges in the last eighteen months, and the challenge still continues, is the capacity constraints. And you are actually head of the air freight at Flexport. Uh, I know that you must be working 24-7, uh, networking with, with your service providers. What is your reading of the current sense in terms of uh, the capacity constraints? And uh, do you see any kind of uh, normalcy returning in the, in the foreseeable future? And that's really the million-dollar question here. Um, you know, obviously, when COVID hit, we
1: saw this massive and immediate dislocation between demand and capacity right? You know, 50% of air freight is carried in the belly of passenger planes. And when the pandemic shut down international travel, all of a sudden, you know, supply chains didn't stop in March, just because COVID, right? People were still consuming and demanding products. And, and so with the loss of all that capacity, you know, we saw the impact of that immediately, right? We saw what happened to rates in March and April of May of 2020, where you had this three, 400% acceleration, right, over, over what they were in February. And, and so, you know, we saw this market react very quickly. Now, over the past 18 months, obviously, things have normalized a little bit. You know, there have been a lot more freighter capacity has come to the market. Passengers are once again starting to travel. So we are seeing belly capacity reemerge into some Into some segments or some segments that are still down 70, 80% from where they were pre pandemic. But if you look at over the next kind of 18 to 24 months, okay, kind of the horizon that we really have pretty decent visibility to, we do see sort of capacity and demand beginning to normalize a little bit more. And why I say that is that, you know, travel is returning, albeit slowly on the international side. But over the next year, you know, uh, uh, lockdowns, quarantines, as the vaccine takes hold globally, right, and we begin to kind of build global herd immunity, we do believe that that more and more international flying will come back, albeit at lower levels than it was pre-pandemic. I mean, if you talk to the CEOs of the major airlines in the world, they will tell you that this pandemic has structurally changed their business forever. Those are very powerful statements coming from people who run the largest airlines in the world. So, we expect international networks to be smaller than they were, you know, pre-pandemic. We expect many cities that had international service to lose it because airlines will be relying more on hub-to-hub flying and then rely on their alliance partners to take the passengers the last mile. Right? There's going to be more reliance on that because without that front cabin full-fare business class passenger, The airlines have to rethink their strategy. They're probably going to fly smaller gauge aircraft. Um, They're going to have fewer frequencies, um, you know, going forward. Now it still remains to be seen because the consumer is a bit of a wild card and who knows, you know, how this plays out. But I think over the 18 to 24 months, capacity is still going to be tight. And, you know, we have, we have uh, you know made made it a point to uh, you know go into a a good percentage of dedicated capacity so we can continue to meet our customers um, supply chain needs
0: how would that impact the uh, cargo operations because there will be a lot of hub to hub travel will be using uh, wide body long haul mm-hmm. flight and you do not have that much of a belly capacity on a narrow body flight so i i do think that you know look i mean narrow bodies
1: are going to begin to play a role in many um, lane segments going forward, you saw United Airlines just placed a bay order for Boeing and A321 aircraft, some of which they'll use probably in the North Atlantic, right, to connect their hub in Newark or Washington to points in Europe. Um, you know, JetBlue is starting, you know, long haul services with A321 narrow bodies because they now have the range to be able to do that. So, I, you know, there is a shift going on here, right, as airlines cater more to leisure travelers, and you know, there is gonna be a shift in terms of the gauge and type of aircraft they fly. And overall, you know, I believe that the belly capacity available for cargo on on international flying is gonna be reduced over what it was pre-pandemic. There's just gonna be less of, you know, you're still gonna have a lot of bags and you're gonna have potentially smaller gauge aircraft. So that's gonna, at the end of the day, leave less room for cargo. So I think freighters are gonna to continue to be a very core part, you know, our capacity needs uh, you know, going forward. And freighters are gonna have a very, very important role to play um, because they go where the cargo originates and they fly to where the cargo you know, is destined to, to, to end up, right? They're not constrained by passenger flows. And, and so, you know, we, we are very heavily vested um, in freighter capacity and main deck capacity and, and will continue to be so for the foreseeable future.
0: So is that going to be? Are you looking for um, getting capacity committed, long-term freighter capacity, main deck capacity? Is that the smart way that players like uh, like you Flexport, uh, would look in the mid to long term?
1: It's no secret that, that we have um, you know a long-term agreement for freighters, you know that we signed with with Atlas, um, you know who's our operating partner. Um, you know when at the start of this pandemic, you know I think we were we were very quick to react the pandemic when it came we projected the impact on capacity and these freighters have been a godsend for us because they've been they've allowed us um, to really take care of our customers and have also created the opportunity for us to to serve new customers and so we are committed to this capacity for a long term and, and we think it's going to form a core basis of our overall procurement strategy but by no means is it the only thing you know that we do it's it's a it's a component, right? Um, we work very closely with many of the commercial carriers on their main deck as well as their belly you know capacity because you know every every segment has a very clear role to play. I just think reiterating a point from before is that belly capacity is going to be less than it was before, and so we can rely on it less um, you know going forward and so we have to figure out if demand is continuing to grow at four and a half to five percent a year, and if you look at a lot of the different groups that do these long-term projections on forecast, everybody's coming around between four to 6%. I don't know if it's 4% or 6%, but air cargo continues to grow, right? And and, and nothing is going to slow that growth down. So, um, you know, to you, you have to figure out if there's going to be a shortfall of belly capacity, you know, globally, then how are you going to make that up? And, and so, you know, I would say we're overweighted, um, you know, towards freighters right now. And, Will continue to be so, you know, uh, for the for the future.
0: Neil, getting long term main deck capacity is that, is that a trend that you also see in the overall air freight industry among the shippers, freight forwarders?
1: You know, I do, I do see that, and and you know, over the past eighteen months, you've seen many forwarders actually do. Forwarders, you know, typically, Reggie, forwarders don't like to take long term <laughs> capacity agreements with uh, with you know with airlines, and particularly to take on their own dedicated capacity. That has not been something. There've been some forwarders that have done this for a period of time, but the vast majority of them have shied away from this because, you know, forwarders tend to be sort of asset light in their thinking. But over the past 18 months, you have a lot of, you know, a lot of different entities that wouldn't have done this pre-pandemic that saw the need to do this. And, and some, you know, they've, everybody's had varying degrees of success with this strategy. Okay. Um, and, and, and I won't comment on, 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 others, but I think that this has been a trend now, you know, how long this continues sort of remains to be seen, but I would say that, you know, a lot of these folks are locked in, you know, to agreements for, for multiple years, you know, uh, the asset owners, you know, were pretty savvy here and and they didn't allow people to do a lot of short-term deals. You know, you're, you're locked in you know, for, for a period of time that's, let's say, more than 12 months. Um, and, and so I, I do see this trend continuing. Now, whether it renews itself, right, as, as these sort of assets come off those long-term agreements and leases or charter agreements that are in place, you know, does it repeat itself and do people resign? I think that's an open question. It, it really is um, and, and I'm not, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't exactly know what this market's gonna look like in 2023, 24, I really don't. And it'd be silly for me to sit here and tell you that I have the answers there. Um, and so I think we'll, we'll have to see as we get a little bit closer to to the renewal days.
0: How difficult it is uh... For you, people like you to get uh, lock-in uh, long-term main deck capacity with yeah. carriers, I'm yeah. sure this must be a very serious uh, negotiation and bargain. It's always a tough negotiation,
1: but you know, the, the bigger issue is right now, there's no capacity to lock into. I mean, so if you're trying to lock in a lot of capacity today, you know main deck where you have control of the schedule and the O's and D's that, that these airplanes are going to fly, it's virtually impossible. Um, because all of the capacity around the world is is really spoken for, right? And so, you know, like I said before, we went into these discussions very early in the pandemic, right? When people were still running around with their hair on fire, trying to figure out, you know, which direction this market's going to go, what's going to happen, how long is this going to last? Because remember, our, our prior experiences with pandemics, while they were severe, they were very short-lived, right? When you think about SARS and MERS and all of those things, they impacted a part of the world and then they disappeared, right? The pandemics really disappeared. Um, this was very different. And so as people were figuring that out, you know, some people were locking in capacity. Well, now the capacity is effectively gone. And you see that there's that, you know, while there are there is new freighter capacity coming online, it's really coming online very slowly because the only production freighter left is the triple seven. Right. And those are coming off the line at a steady pace, but they're all spoken for. You know, you have a lot of the integrators and all that have, you know, very large deliveries of these aircraft. Um, And then you have conversions, you know, you have the new 777 300 passenger to freighter conversion, but those aircraft aren't going to hit the market until maybe end of 23, early 24. So um, I think capacity is going to be very tight on the main deck side, you know, for the coming years because. You know even the aircraft that were put into service as a result of the pandemic you had a lot of aircraft that had been parked right a lot of the 747 converted freighters all those airplanes that were suboptimal in 2019 you know all the airlines that had access to those brought them back to life you know did the full maintenance and, and brought them back into service well those airplanes are going to need to retire at some point right um because you know they're really beyond their useful life and I'm not sure that airlines are going to go through another C or D check with these assets, um, you know, not knowing, you know, what, what the future holds. So capacity is tight. If you're trying to do a long-term deal today, you're going to have a really, really hard time um, finding that capacity. There's a little bit of it, but, but not anything significant.
0: Neil, I like to get you to talk about uh, freighters or the cargo only passenger flights uh, today There are new airlines being launched with the, uh, the so-called uh, praetors, uh how much of your um, volume is dependent on traitors
1: that it's a that's a great question reggie and i mean you know i, I if, if you go back to the start of this pandemic i will tell you that praetors were a godsend they were a godsend for us because you know we immediately did deals for from you know a lot of these flights you know just a lot <laughs> and it it was an amazing opportunity to get capacity to take care of very urgent needs the issue with craters, right, is that the economics of operating a passenger plane for only cargo, whether you've removed the seats or not, okay, is is quite difficult. Um, and at, at $40, $35 oil at the beginning of the pandemic, airlines, you know, they did jump into this very quickly. It was an opportunity for them to keep their planes working, keep their pilots, you know, with 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 job assignments and things like that. And so... It it made a lot of sense. And I commend all of the carriers that jumped into this very quickly. They made quick decisions, they did it, and, and we were very thankful for it. But as oil has gone from thirty dollars a barrel now to 75 today, right? And many people are saying, is it headed to 85, maybe even a hundred? You know, the economics of craters become very, very difficult. And the ability to hit that yield. Now, do you need $10, dollars a kilo? to make a prater break even. Those sorts of yields become very, very difficult, right? I mean, you know, maybe for a short-term project, sure. I mean, you know, there, there could be opportunities to deploy a prater, particularly for very dense cargo because that's what they're really best at carrying. But I do think that we're gonna see less and less of prater flying. You even see it in the numbers today, right? The number of, you know, um, of praters that are flying today is significantly less than what it was before. I think launching an airline with just praters, you know, personally, I think is uh, is going to be a very, very tough um, sort of, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, business case, uh, you know, to make. Uh, because praters are also very difficult to load and unload, particularly if you're using the upper deck. They have to be hand loaded for the most part. Um, it's putting a lot of strain on ground handlers. Some you know, ground handlers are saying it's taking four to five hours to load a prater. Whereas it takes 35 minutes to load a regular freighter, um, you know it's putting a lot of strain, and we know the ground handling industry has had massive sort of disruption, um, you know, over this crisis, and we're seeing backlogs everywhere in the world. Um, so praters just add to that and and add to the stress of origin and destination operations. So I I do think that the days of the prater are probably numbered. We're still going to have them, you know, if over the course of the next 12 months, but. Mm, you know, particularly if oil goes much higher, I don't know if we're going to see craters in summer of 22.
0: Neil, uh, look at also capacity constraints is an important, but uh, you still have a price. Freight rates are still uh, still high. Uh, sure. What is your reading of it? Uh, how long will it uh, will it maintain at such levels?
1: Rates are obviously elevated over historical norms, right? And and early in this pandemic, you know, as I mentioned before, you saw rates go to 3x, 4x what they typically were, right? It was very common in May and June to see rates of between 15 and 18, $20 a kilo, right? From from many origins on the Trans-Pacific in particular with the Far East, Westbound, you know, Asia to Europe being a little bit less than that. But um, it was very common to see that. And at those sorts of yields, you can make any sort of flying profitable. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, of course you can, right? Uh, uh, but, but But those yields have moderated. Significantly since those days, right? the, the market is in, in better equilibrium today, um, for sure. And we don't have that panic, you know, that we had early in the pandemic, right? That that sort of has has gone away. And so rates have moderated. we're, we're not at anywhere close to those levels now, you know, they are elevated well above historical norms. I would say between you know one and a half to two x right over historical norms. And there are many origins which continue to suffer from a lack of capacity, particularly Southeast Asia, very reliant on belly capacity, right, to take freight from places like Bangkok and Jakarta, Kuala Lumpur and, 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 and places like that to um, major hubs in Incheon, and Taipei and Shanghai and Hong Kong, where they then transited to the US um, or, to, or to Europe. Now, you are seeing that capacity very constrained because travel within Asia has basically been shut down between countries. And so without that belly capacity, um, many of these origins have really suffered. And so you know, the rates have continued to stay, let's say higher than the rates between China and the US and China and, and, and Europe, um, which you know, continue to moderate. I think that rates are gonna stay well above historical norms for the next 12 months for sure. I think the key, Reggie, is going to be the summer of 2022. So let's see what sort of schedules the airlines put in place for the IATA summer season, which goes into effect at the end of April in 2022. And let's see what aircraft they deploy, how much capacity, and with what frequency they fly. And I think that that is going to tell us a lot about the recovery on the passenger side of the business and how airlines are thinking about their future route networks. And I think at that point we'll get a better read on what yields are gonna be then through the course of 22 and then into 23. But I think between now and April of next year, I don't think we're gonna see any moderation in the rates. I think they're gonna stay at current levels or even go up a little bit higher as we head through you know, the traditional peak season towards the end of 2021. And we know the consumer is very strong, right? I mean, the consumer in Europe and in the U.S. are spending a lot of money. They've been, they've been stuck at home for, for a year and a half. They've saved, you know, multiple trillions of dollars, right? The, the number in the U.S. is $3 trillion that consumers have saved over and above what they would have normally. That's a lot of buying power. $3 trillion is a lot of buying time. Now, they're going to spend a lot of that money on experiences, right? They're going to travel. They're going to go out to eat. They're going to do all of the things that they miss doing. But they're also going to buy stuff. And so, you know, you, you, de- you do see a pretty strong demand pattern, you know, here uh, and in Europe, um, you know, over the course of the next uh, year, at a minimum.
0: Neil, I want to talk to you about something that you already mentioned, the freighters, uh, both uh, prediction as well as the converted freighters, because I think a lot of the people want uh, Order it today and get it yesterday. That's the kind of demand for uh, freighters right now. Uh, people are expecting a freighter from uh, from Airbus on the A350. The triple seven uh, is likely to end uh, production by 2027 because of the the emission standards. Triple seven X is supposed to have a freighter uh, program, but triple seven X still do not have the the go ahead uh, for commercial operations as of uh, as of now. What are your sense of uh, the future market for uh, freighters?
1: Well, I, I think I think the demand for freighters is going to continue to be pretty strong, and and I think you know the the um, the, the, you know, the the entities that that rely on these sort of aircraft, you know, are trying to find every every which way to to meet their 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 demand, right? So you see, all the e-commerce players are swallowing up all of this feedstock for regional freighters. You know, the seven sixty seven. Um, you know, has been the workhorse of the regional freighter, right, and is a preferred platform for the large e-commerce players. And you see that, you know, almost every available feedstock airplane um, has, been, um, has been purchased. And, uh, you know, you see the conversion lines for these medium wide-body freighters are booked years out. Um, and, and so, you know, it is a pretty scarce commodity, you also mentioned the production freighters. You know, Boeing has the only production freighter. Airbus is rumored now to be going to be offering an A350 freighter, but it's still years away, right? It's years away. And, and, and you know, I like your statement earlier that, you know, you want to order it today and you want it delivered yesterday. You know, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, uh, everybody wants that asset in their, in their fleet a- immediately. And, and that's obviously impossible. Um, you know the the major conversion houses are adding conversion lines right they're increasing their capacity, um, but you know it's still not enough to meet the current demand. You know the big question is, are we going to overshoot? Are we going to convert too many freighters you know over the course of the next several years and and then we're going to be left with too much supply you know i I tend to think not i I tend to think that um, you know that if you look at the demand numbers and you look at how supply is coming into play. That we're still going to be in, in in a very balanced sort of situation, but obviously, uh, you know, uh, the 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 freighter asset is very hot right now. Asset values are you know probably the highest they've ever been, um, you know, for freighter aircraft. Um, and uh, you know, I don't see this cooling off, you know, in in the next twelve to eighteen months. I think you're going to continue to see this. I I do think that you know, if you want to look out five to 10 years, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, the role that any new production freighter, you know, the the 747 has come to an end, right? I think Atlas is taking the last four 747 production freighters next year. The 777 will come to an end, you know, at some point. What is going to be the next production freighter, right? That's going to, you know, come onto the scene, or are we only going to rely on freighters like the 777-300, you know, passenger to freighter conversion, which I think is going to be a very good airplane. It's probably going to be a great airplane for e-commerce. A lot of volume, um, maybe not as much payload as you would want, but, but a lot of volume. The A330-300, right, is you're starting to see those conversions coming out and you have the integrators like DHL starting to fly those aircraft, you know, very capable for regional, um, you know, e-commerce or, or integrator operations. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how all these platforms play out and, um, you know, uh, you know, what happens to demand, you know, for these, you know, you know, beyond three years.
0: I want you to reflect on the, the current air cargo industry and what are your reading of the trends that are shaping the future of air freight industry globally. want to contextualize your response in the context of how the pandemic actually exposed the, the fragility of the global supply chains, uh, which are not built for disruptions like the COVID pandemic. Uh, How is uh, Flexport looking at the future of global supply chains? And are you building supply chain models uh, to address the just-in-case scenario than the traditional just-in-time models with your customers? That's a great question. Um, And I I think
1: that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, very hard contemplation going on within, you know, many shippers around the world, right? Is that, you know, what should their supply chain strategy look like? Because this pandemic, you know, has, has you know, exposed a lot of, you know, problems with how their supply chains were operating, right? Um, and this even started before the pandemic. You even saw it earlier on when we had the tariff wars between the U.S. and China, and and you know you you uh, you saw companies that had doubled and tripled down on putting all of their production in one place um, that all of a sudden you know overnight almost you know the cost of their uh, cost of goods sold went up by 20 25%. You know those are the sort of shocks that you know shippers have a hard time you know kind of dealing with because how do you how do you manage with that sort of cost increase. So I think the debate around how, where should shippers manufacture, um, you know, should they have, you know, a multi geographic manufacturing strategy, like right? a diverse geographic manufacturing strategy. So they're not beholden to any one region should, you know, panic, you know, or macroeconomic factors affect one region versus another. So I don't see a lot of sort of change right now. You do see production shifting, right? During the tariff wars, you saw production shifting, from China to Southeast Asia and Vietnam and Thailand saw export growth rates in the double digits, right, for cargo, and that continues today. Um, that's just sort of very natural sort of decision-making that's going on as people sort of divest and, 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 and create a, a little more diversification. In terms of, but the supply chain risk is the same. You're still manufacturing a product a long, long way <laughs> from, from where you're selling it. And, uh, you know, you have to rely on ships and planes to get your product to, to market. I think that, you know, the debate now will be, you know, do we onshore, do we nearshore, um, you know, in order to further diversify. Now, we haven't seen massive trends in, in this area yet. Um, we haven't seen where shippers are like, hey, I'm going to move 50% of my production back to the US and things. They've been dribs and drabs of this, because I also think, you know, they've made big investments in factory and capabilities in the places they have. And it's Hard to just sort of walk away from that. So I, I think that you know you will see over the course of this year probably you know some, some folks making you know uh, uh, big decisions in terms of how they're going to you know handle their manufacturing strategy and hence how it's going to impact their supply chains. But right now I think you know people are still sticking with you know what they've been doing, and I think that uh, uh, you know we now have to figure out in this brave new world, you know, how we continue to keep supply chains moving um, at a cost structure that allows these companies to continue to sell their goods and not have to raise prices dramatically you know, on their consumer. And, and that's gonna be the challenge. And I think you know, we're prepared for that. We think our platform, our operating system will allow us to have the lowest cost to serve in the market. Um, and, and as a result, we can pass that, you know, that sort of leverage and savings on to our customer and, and, and provide the sort of visibility and overall experience that they really deserve. Right. I mean, that, that's a, it's about changing the way this business operates. And I think that's that's our goal. And, uh, you know, maybe when we talk a year from now, we can talk about, you know, the, the significant progress that we've made towards uh, achieving that final vision.
0: For Flexport, uh, technology has been at the core of everything, uh, everything you do for the freight industry that facilitates global trade. Uh, tell us, how do you intend to stay on top when it comes to digital transformation of the freight industry? And how do you become the key enabler and uh, a company that sets a benchmark for the rest of them to follow?
1: That's a very um, you know, lofty ambition, uh, what you just stated. And, and it's something that we're obviously committed to. I think, look, you have to keep investing. I mean, uh, you know, th- we, we invest very heavily um, in what we call our makers organization. These are the folks that are building the system, right? Designing and building the system in close collaboration with the business side of the organization. And so, you know, you have to keep investing because this journey is not easy. And, you know, trade is complicated um, and there are multiple hands on us, right? I mean, trade is a relay race. It, it is it is a complicated business um, and to build a platform that handles things from the the, the, sh- the factory door all the way to the distribution center is not easy um, and so we are committed to the making that investment and continuing to make that investment we haven't won <laughs> uh, we're not even close to it yet and so we have to continue to double and triple down on the amount of uh, capital we pour into our research and development and and we're committed to doing that. Um, and, and so because we do see a, a huge payoff for that, you know, that investment, you know, down the road.
0: Neil, it was a, such a pleasure talking to you. And uh, thanks for uh, joining me in this uh, episode of Cargo Masterminds.
1: Great. Um, I love your series, uh, Reggie. I, I, I watch it every week. <laughs> and uh, thank you for including me. It's uh, been a real pleasure and look forward to chatting with you again soon.
0: That was uh, Neil John Shaw, Executive Vice President and Global Head of Air Freight at uh, Flexport. That's it from us at Stat Media Group. We bring cargo masterminds every Monday. Thanks for tuning in and come back on next Monday for a fresh episode. Have a nice day.